Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Pastor Eric Raymond to the podcast. Eric serves as pastor of the Emmaus Bible Church in Omaha, Nebraska. He is a husband, father of six. He blogs at Ordinary Pastor, hosted by the Gospel Coalition. Eric also has a new book coming out in March of 2017 entitled Chasing Contentment, Trusting God in a Discontented Age. Eric, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Good to have you with us. And we're recording this here on the campus of Midwestern Seminary in the studio here uh, located within the Spurgeon Library. Uh, Eric has just preached in chapel a couple hours ago here, did a phenomenal job preaching from Genesis chapter 4. And it's just been a delight to host you here, Eric, get to know you a bit, and now to have this conversation uh, with you. So welcome, and we're thrilled to have you here. Thank you. It's it's great to be here. Now, Eric, you have a new book coming out uh, in titles, I already mentioned, Chasing Contentment, Trusting God in a Discontented Age. And I've had the privilege of reading through that book in recent days and just really digesting it and appreciating your heart for contentment and uh, how we as Christians, and for the sake of the conversation today, we as Christian ministers ought to be cultivating contentment in our lives. Now, I'm dying to get to that, but before we get to that, let's have a couple minutes of just front porch time. Uh, tell me and our, our listeners, update us on you, on your church, what's going on there in Omaha, and uh, what you're grateful to the Lord for His doing through your ministry there. Yeah, great. Uh, so I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, as you mentioned, uh, Emmaus Bible Church. We planted this church uh, just five years ago, so we just celebrated our fifth anniversary. And uh, the Lord has been very kind to us uh, over these five years. And um, some particularly encouraging things uh, would be answers to a lot of prayers, uh, some of which would would be uh, a church that is hungry for the Word of God and seem to really take delight um, in hearing God's Word, gathering as God's people. And uh, something that we have been praying for and encouraged by is an increased uh, burden for prayer. And we're seeing that uh, in our context as well. And I think a vision for overall uh, evangelism and discipleship. So discipleship in the context of the church, evangelism obviously outside of the church, and then trying to train um, those in the church and then also ministers for um, church planning and revitalization. And you're a native Bostonian. That's so great. how did you find your way from Boston to Omaha? Yeah, great question. So in God's providence, I left Massachusetts, uh, joined the Air Force, and enlisted in the military, and through a series of events, found my way to Omaha, Nebraska, off at Air Force Base. And it was there that I was converted and had a burden and desire for ministry. And your church plant, you're five years old. Um, Tell us the highs and lows of that. Highs and lows of church planting, of where you guys are in your stage of life cycle here Mm -hmm. at five years old. Uh, What can you tell us briefly about what you've learned? Well, highs, I think highs have to be people show up. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you're starting yeah, let's off... Not, let's not take that for granted. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was recently uh, just there, just the encouragement as I looked around on a Sunday morning that uh, there's a number of people there, uh, and again, eager to hear God's Word. And uh, it was a tremendous blessing to hear the congregation sing and to sing truth and uh, seem to sing it with heartfelt praise. Um, that's a tremendous high. Uh, in addition, uh, seeing elders, we've appointed five elders 
um, and sent a, a, a number off uh, as well. And we've planted a church um, in the first five years. So those are all really encouraging things. And I think, again, the, the, the gospel centrality, the, the, the burden for the local church uh, to be a healthy church that reflects God's character, we're seeing that and we're greatly encouraged by that. Lowe's, I, mean, I think it's always sin, whether personal sin, corporate sin, um, it, bad decisions personally, um, you know, and it, church discipline situations, things like that. Those are those are obviously discouraging. Um, you have hopes for some people one way, and things turn out a different way. Um, that uh, that's hard. And uh, well, I love how you frame that, and you know what to be thankful for. And I love the reflexive response of that people are showing up. And uh, again, let's not take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the 21st century. People aren't pre-inclined to want to go to church. Uh, we know that given our fallenness, but we also know that given our sociocultural dynamic. As someone once said um, in Scripture, where there is no vision, the people perish, but where there are no people, the vision perishes. And uh, <laughs> praise God, people are showing up there True. with you at Emmaus. Well, listen, let's hop into the conversation. You have written a book, and I've been privileged to read through it in recent days, and it's coming out via Crossway Publishers in March of next year. And the book is on contentment. And I love how you've entitled this, Chasing Contentment. Now, there is a a lot I hope to unpack here, and for our listeners, uh, most of whom are local church ministers, pastors, there's a lot I believe we can helpfully talk about, as even as it relates to how the minister should perceive his own sense of self-worth and fulfillment and fruitfulness in ministry and achieve a a healthier balance of personal contentment. But notice I read through this book, uh, your fingerprints are throughout it, you wrote it, but not only your fingerprints, uh, your heart is throughout it, and I detected some... uh, some personal autobiography in this book. So tell us your story. What drew you to write this book? What is the the premier lesson that you've had to learn along the way? That's great. Yeah, definitely. Um, Accurate observation. So it was a couple of years ago uh, that I was preaching through Hebrews, and I was going through a very difficult time in ministry, uh, even personally with a number of relationships, and even physically. I had a lot of there, was a, there were a lot of trials present in my life, uh, more so than normal. And uh, as I was preaching through the book of Hebrews, we were coming to chapter 13. And I got to that passage in verse 5 and 6 where it, t- it tells us not to love money but to be content with what we have. The Lord will not leave us nor forsake us. And, and it just struck me that all of the things that God is telling us to be content in uh, or telling us not to be be chasing after that he's calling us back to himself and back to his word. And so what I did, I needed to just sit and marinate in that text. And so I preached a, I don't know if it was four or five part sermon on contentment. And I went to Philippians and it was in Acts and uh, Timothy and in the Old Testament, just unpacking what contentment is. And I spent, spent a lot of time with Jeremiah Burroughs and um, other, other Puritans that helped me to think through that. So it was, it, was a, it was a season of life that I was going through. But I, as I realized, we never really graduate from the school of contentment. You're, you're always taking classes. As we live on this side of glory, we're always having to learn contentment. We have learned to be content in whatever we have, but at the same time, we're learning it continually. So... Now, I wonder, is this a particular problem with millennials or myself and, and yourself, we're, we're Gen Xers, 
Uh, is this a particular phenomenon we see in the West and kind of the American church where we have so much affluence? Uh, how do you diagnose this challenge? Of course, some of this goes back you know, to, to the fall of man himself mm-hmm. and uh, basic discontentment we see showing up in the book of Genesis. It was really our current ministerial moment. Um, flesh out for us how you currently assess this, this plague of discontentment that's in the church and in so many believers. Well, I, as we talk about in the book, uh, one of the ways that we pursue contentment is going after um, things that are external to ourselves. So we're, we're chasing circumstances. We're se- chasing fleeting moments. We're chasing forms of satisfaction and delight uh, that really can't deliver. They can't bear the freight of what we need and want. And so I, I don't know if it's particular generational challenges. I think each generation has their challenges, their proclivities that that they feel. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a restlessness that we have in our soul to be satisfied by and to continue to be satisfied by God himself. So I think it goes all the way back, like you said, to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve are eating from the tree that they shouldn't be eating. So there was restlessness. There was discontentment. They did not believe God's word and they pursued something instead of God. And what the rest of the Bible really is doing is calling us back to God himself, whereby we have uh, fellowship with God. We're welcomed into the Trinity where we are able to truly be content in him. So let's define contentment. Mm -hmm. When we talk about being content, um, fundamentally, what do we mean by that? Well, I think it fundamentally has to do with the – it's inward – and it is a resting, is a, a peace that rests in God and God alone. And it, that contentment then is able to be tested where um, things that you might not plan happen to you, you're able to still rest and you're resting ultimately in God. So it's a, it's a as, as Burroughs talks about, that inward, gracious, calm spirit um, that uh, joyfully rests in God's providence. So it's, it's inward, not external. It's gracious. It's not fleshly earned. Um, it's, it's resting. It's not restless and complaining. So at the end of the day, it is, a, a, I think, a, an overall s- calmness of the soul that is able to, um, to rest in God and the circumstances that he would bring by his providence. That word, circumstances. So is it contentment and inner tranquility and peace satisfaction uh, in spite of circumstances, through circumstances, because of circumstances? Uh, how does one's circumstances inform one's contentment? Yeah, that's great. So I think a great example would be Acts uh, 16, where you see Paul and Silas in prison. I mean, these guys have been beaten up. Um, they're in a, a dungeon, essentially, first century Roman dungeon. And uh, we find these guys singing hymns to God and leading a prayer meeting, basically. And uh, the people in, in the Luke notes and the prisoners watched them. They saw them. Uh, so there is a there is an example of somebody or some men that are able to, in spite of very very bad circumstances, to be able to be content and be content in God. So it's not dependent upon circumstances. So you could have you could have. Um, a life-threatening disease, or you could have some terrible news, but at the end of the day, you know that even though circumstances change, God doesn't change, and nothing's a surprise to God. So he doesn't um, he doesn't look upon your situation and say, "Oh, that's that's where did this come from?" No, he knows exactly what's happening, and he's serving it up as the Heidelberg Catechism talks about the providence of God, as if from his very hand. So if I think it was Spurgeon that said if, if there was another situation that would have been better for you to be in, then divine love would have granted it. So this, even though it might not be pleasant at the moment, is a result of God's providence. So if we trust that God is 
all wise and all good and all loving and he's for us, then we can be content no matter if we have a lot or we have a little, if it's a difficult day or if it's a blessed day. As I hear you define it, it occurs to me that what you're fundamentally saying is contentment is first and foremost a, a theological principle, a mm-hmm. biblical principle, a, a biblical choice, uh, more so than it is you know, a, a state of affection or, or, an, or a state of emotion or an attitudinal um, observation or, or state. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah. Well, if you think about the Stoics and they would try to master themselves um, through deprivation and different things that they would have control of their spirit that way. Um, and. And ultimately, for us, we're we're attempting to master ourselves, but by looking not inward, ultimately we look to God and we find our rest in Him. So, people listening to our conversation today, Eric, we have church planners listening, we have pastors listening, we have people listening who, in their respective ministries or respective uh, arenas of life, they're driven, mm-hmm. and God has used that drivenness in good ways. Uh, perhaps they have uh, accomplished much for the kingdom through the planning of a church, or through pastoring a church, or a writing ministry, any of a number of things. That drivenness has been an instrument God has used to uh, to serve His church. How does drivenness or ambition, we might say, to put it in a, in a more earthy uh, a frame of reference here, how does drivenness or ambition, how does that intersect with contentment? Does it cut against it? Does it inform it? Uh, does it limit it? How should we, we think of contentedness with drivenness? Yeah, so I think it comes back to the starting point. And the question is, are you beginning out of a, uh, a net negative and you're trying to make up for something and you're trying to go, um, you're discontent, therefore you're driven? Uh, or are you content, you're fixed, you have a net positive, you, go, you believe that God is who he is and he's for you and he's in complete control and you rest in him. Uh, there's, if you're driven as a church planner, as a pastor, you're not trying to earn your own salvation, you're not trying to atone for your sin, you're not trying to make a name for yourself. You're ultimately trying to make a great name for God. And so drivenness is not at odds with contentment. Uh, I think contented people would then be more more apt to to be driven in a biblical way where they're able to spend and be spent for souls. That is very well put. Now, you have an anecdote in your book. And the book doesn't come out until March, but I've been privileged to be able to read through it. And uh, this conversation, in my mind as we talk, the listeners are not dependent upon the book to get at what we're saying. I want this conversation to be standalone and in and of itself helpful. But a couple of things I want to reference the book because there's some things you said that were especially salient to me. And so if you're listening, you'll have to wait until March to actually get this book. Perhaps we'll, we'll whet your appetite. You open one of your chapters, early chapter, chapter one, in fact, uh, with this story about Tom Brady, uh, the great athlete, the great quarterback of the New England Patriots, a man who is uh, lauded as an accomplished quarterback by people who love the Patriots and people who hate the Patriots, still acknowledge Tom Brady's uniqueness as a football player. Uh, you referenced an interview he gave in, in the year 2005 with 60 Minutes, and, and Brady said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He asks. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what is important. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, though, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Freddie would go on to say that, you know what my favorite ring is? It's the next one. Now, there's a sense as I read that as myself, a recovering athlete, and um, 
I, I understand what he's saying, and I, I recognize that hunger is often, usually, in fact, present in the life of an accomplished athlete. But at the same time, so as a part of me, I, I read that, I, I appreciate that, I identify with that. But at the same time, I find that horribly depressing that a mm-hmm. man is that empty, that even after so much accomplishment, so much gain, so much achieved, it's something beyond his grasp that he has to have to even make him momentarily content. Mm-hmm much less no hope of a long-term contentment. Yeah. Unpack Tom Brady, psychoanalyze Tom Brady for us. Well, I don't know how well I can do that. I, I think that the, 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 the question there that uh, Brady was asked and then he just fallen into – first his transparency to be able to, to speak the way he did uh, and he's reiterated that over the years. It, it really reminds me that no matter what, even if you're at the, the, the pinnacle, I mean Tom Brady – the, the four Super Bowl rings, um, all pro, rich he'll never want, his kids will never want, um, married to a supermodel, mansion house. I mean, he has everything that people would want, but you see him just kind of scratching his head with the four championship rings saying, there's got to be more. So here's a guy that seems to have gotten everything, but yet still has hunger pains. And it just reminds us that if you can stock the pantry with all of the goods of the world, um, you know, Brady's an example, it still doesn't deliver. And so that, that takes us to what C.S. Lewis would tell us, that if you, if, if you crave something that nothing on this world can satisfy, then you were created for something more, or something mm-hmm. another world. And so Brady, I think, is exhibit A on that. He's showing us that, hey, I've reached the top of the mountain, and it's like an overhyped movie. Um, I, it didn't deliver. And so now that makes us ask a question, then where do we find that contentment? Which, which makes me swerve back into the ministry lane. Um, people listen to this podcast or church planners like yourself, Eric, are pastoring churches, and it's so easy to, to fall into the mindset that our personal self-worth, our personal sense of accomplishment, our relative contentment is tied to how good our church is doing or not doing. That church plant begins with a handful of people, and uh, you know one's family comprises a significant portion of the congregation. Then once it hits that threshold of viability, to where there are enough people there that this okay, this church plan is going to make it, and then to, to sustainability, where there are enough people and enough giving of tithes and offering that the church is not dependent upon some third party or some mother church to fund, and so they're sustainable. And then perhaps this next threshold a year or two later, where they're not only sustainable, they're, they're strong enough and big enough to maybe plan a church. Right. And it's very easy as ministers to see these different thresholds of accomplishment. And on the one hand, have an appropriate sense of drivenness to want to attain those. But on the other hand, to, to over-torque it and think that is when ministry gets fulfilling. That is when I can celebrate God's favor on this church. And we can find ourselves uh, just a sanctified version of Tom Brady, mm-hmm. where it's the next accomplishment. It's the next book deal. It's the next blog article. It's the next uh, campus that we add, the satellite campus. It's the next worship service that we launch. Some other level out there, some other threshold to to cross, some other accomplishment to attain for our own contentment. And I want to say to our listeners today, based upon your book and what I know of Scripture, that is just as vacuous as Tom Brady's Super Bowl ring, That's is right. it not? Yeah, yeah definitely. Because uh, you're, you're doing the same thing where you're looking out at external things to ultimately bring that what only God himself can bring. I mean, when you think about think about Jesus, the most contented man that ever lived, and what he did and how he lived— and what he does by virtue of his life, death, and resurrection, he brings us back to God, as Peter tells us. And so when he brings us back to God, he is, he's 
welcoming us into all of the joys of the Trinity, where we as Christians, as John says, have fellowship with God and one another. We are we are not a fourth member or a fifth member of the Trinity. There's one Trinity, one God, but we are partakers of fellowship with God. And it's as if we are enjoying a, 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 a blessing, a benefit from another land that's not spoiled by the curse of sin. We are loved from another land and we have blessings from another land and we are able to endure in a, um, in a way that is, is um, remarkable to people that don't, have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen. In your book, and I want to just extract a few couple paragraphs from it for the helpfulness for this conversation, you have just very practical words of advice as to how one can cultivate content, a posture, an attitude of contentment. You say this, if you are having a hard time being content, make a list of everything you have, you have that you don't deserve, and then make a list of everything you deserve that you don't have. When you and I realize how kind and gracious God has been with us, we're able to see things in a proper perspective. You go on to, to ask, do you remember when you were first converted? Mercy and love flowed down from heaven through the words of the gospel. You were forgiven and accepted. What glorious truth. God had taken care of your most pressing problem, and he had taken care of it powerfully and permanently. We have been shown tremendous mercy. We have cried with the sinner in the temple, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And God has answered with infinite mercy. When we remember that our ultimate and most pressing need is fully met in him, it is very difficult to complain. As I've heard Mark Dever quip, anything less than hell is dancing time for Christians. Amen. May we never forget it. Yeah. Eric, it's such a helpful resource. I look forward to this book coming out in print and being able to distribute to friends and to those in ministry. I believe that you are scratching a very real itch. You're proposing answers to a very real problem. And I pray this conversation today will help ministers uh, to be more rightly focused and centered and rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, that we may find our, our contentment, our satisfaction, our joy, our completeness in him, not in material gain, not even in ministerial accomplishment. Eric, thank you for the conversation and for being with us today on Preaching and Preachers. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.